because this is the most biased I've ever seen when it came to evaluating what a president was doing. The most biased I've ever seen one side treating a president. And that's including Bush. That's including Obama. It's to a ridiculous degree at this point. And just to make sure that we're thematically on the same page here, this is part of a, a lengthy history and a lengthy process. It's not as though they just dropped out of the sky and suddenly they're so extreme. Uh, this is part of a lengthy process that has been egging each side on all the way up. But now it's Democrats are just some portion of the Democratic Party has reached peak insanity that we've ever seen. The authors eventually they say that Republicans needed to defect and not support Trump at some point and all right whatever. They bring up Peru, Fujimori, they had a collapsed economy, there were insurgents that were like taking over parts of Peru on the way to the capital so he went into authoritarian mode and I think this was him too Fujimori. He attacked his critics in harsh terms, he treated them as enemies, he arrested rivals and there were even there's a very interesting story about billionaires who tried to stand up to him and it might have been him or it might have been somebody else it might have been like Marcos or something I think he comes up next but where these billionaires would just kind of resign themselves to the to their fate and say okay uh, I'm gonna leave him alone even though I, I disagree with him billionaires you think they'd be able to do whatever the hell they wanted uh, but one of them stood up to him and then that one was arrested and ended up in jail lost all of his <laughs> all of his wealth but it's it's pretty fascinating uh, you'd think they'd be pretty plugged in so he brings up Ferdinand Marcos of the Philippines the authors do uh, the president of the Philippines he used crises and they compared it to using the Reichstag fire as reason to take more power and like I said like most of the time they bring up these things it's just like a bleh they just kind of vomit out here are some details about this one it's not like a real look into or, or try to understand study of the way these things happen which is what I was hoping for I, I was hoping this would be a very deliberate scientific kind of a look at the way that this happens and it's not it's just a polemic against Trump best aspect of the book is talking talking about the unwritten rules so the norms that have been breaking over time for a long time so mutual toleration is one of them that even though I disagree with the people on the other side and uh, Jason Altman talked about this in his book as well what was it called something divide some divide something I don't, I don't remember but he was talking about it in that how they used to like go to the gym together and and live in the same quarters and do all sorts of stuff together so that made it more likely to think of the other person as another person and work together with each other and not see them as an other but now you don't have that mutual toleration that you believe that they're just doing the thing they think is best for the country now it's this hate <laughs> It's just this, uh, we hate our rivals and we want to destroy them by any means necessary. And one thing, oh yes, this is one of the norm-breaking things that is interesting and nobody, they didn't bring it up here, but it's the cloture votes. So it's votes that are necessary to stop filibuster. I can't remember when it was developed, but it was, it was something that was used by Obama 24 times because Republicans filibustered like a nominee or something like that. And for Trump, it was like 124. It was, it was ridiculous ridiculous. It's the most, by a huge margin, the most in history that they've had to use cloture votes. And yet, I mean, that's a clear example of norm breaking. And yet, it's not something that the authors here go and say, okay, well, look at this norm breaking. These are the Democrats going nuts. And this should be called out to the same degree in the same way as any norm breaking on the other side. I mean, I read the whole thing. I didn't want to read it again because I didn't want to choke the whole thing down again. But like most of these, I try to read twice, but this I read once. And maybe they mention it somewhere in there but they didn't treat it in this way that and I don't think they brought up numbers or even cloture votes in general about how the norm breaking is so extreme 
by the Democrats now against this president. Anyway, uh, institutional forbearance. So that's like, you have legal rights uh, as part of the government, you know, whichever branch you're in, you have legal rights, but you'd forbear on using the th those particular things. Uh, not because you couldn't use those, but because it's just, it's just norm. It's a norm that you try to work together by not using those things. So that's, that's one of the things breaking down. Constitutional hardballs, that's a similar thing, right? It's just, I have a constitutional right and I'm going to use it no matter what. And the category of mental incapacity. So this is something like, that's the only way that you can get rid of sitting judges. I can't, I just put mental incapacity here and I can't remember if they were just saying that Trump is, or they're talking about getting rid of judges and having that be the standard. But if the standard's mental incapacity, that can mean a whole bunch of things. So pushing, it's one thing if they're schizophrenic and it's obvious. It's another thing if they just like suffer from depression. So you're trying to get rid of them for any reason at all. So, uh, oh, they bring up FDR. Okay, so FDR, he tried to pack the Supreme Court. This is some lip service to the other side. Remember, we've gone through the rest of the book about the, about the one side, but they say how FDR wanted to pack the Supreme Court because he had a conservative Supreme Court. And he was trying to do his whole New Deal thing. And he so he, tr he wanted to pack them, but both parties rejected it at the time. Of course, funny story. It's the Democratic establishment now who is talking about packing the Supreme Court when they get the power to because they're outnumbered on the Supreme Court now and they don't want to lose things like Roe v. Wade and, and other aspects of legal authority that are supportive of their positions. And we had, oh yeah, the Sedition Act at one point to willfully utter, print, write, or publish any disloyal, profane, scurrilous, or abusive language about the form of the government of the United States. How insane is that? That there was an act that made that a criminal offense, saying something bad about the form of government of the United States, or to willfully urge, incite, or advocate any curtailment of the production of the things necessary or essential to the prosecution of war, or criticize the war. Just imagine it like Vietnam era, if they were to pass something like, you don't get to criticize the That's insane. Insanity. I mean, I understand stuff was going on, but that's insanity. I'm so glad. So that was the Sedition Act back in the day. Uh, Lincoln, you know, during the Civil War, he suspended habeas corpus, which means you get to stand in front of a body and the body has to say, these are our lawful grounds for holding you, for detaining you. So he suspended that, that during the time. He also had some questionable executive orders at the time. I mean, Lincoln had some reasonable <laughs> arguments for a little bit of executive overreach, especially more than the president today or presidents of more recent history, but still, you know, he had some executive overreach. Now, they talk about how Republican, Republicans are weaponizing all sorts of stuff. They talk about GOP extremism, uh, so, and attacking Ninth, Ninth Circuit judges, and I just, I just read a couple of articles about this, actually, because, uh, it was, PolitiFact said that, in response to, I think, Hannity said that the Ninth Circuit is the most overturned circuit, and they said, no, it's the third most overturned circuit, but if you actually go through the numbers, there was another article that said that PolitiFact was cheekily gaming the numbers to make it so the Ninth Circuit wasn't the most overturned because by sheer numbers over the period of time that we have information on, the Ninth Circuit is by far the, the most overturned circuit. So it's it's not a big point, but whatever. A GOP extremism uh, without talking about democratic extremism, but you know, that's kind of the modus operandi. And then they go, oh, this is toward the end. Okay, so they go into the Republican Party. It's the Republican Party's fault. They're horrible. Uh, they need to, it's giving like prescriptions for what the party needs to do now. It says it needs to abandon white nationalism. I didn't realize that was a party platform of the GOP. Again, this is, I there's some kind of a weird psychological projection going on. It's saying that, no, you are the monster that I think you are, even though it's coming from me. These are all the secretly 
really horrible things that I think, so I'm gonna project them onto you. Uh, and it talks about them like Nazis or said they were Nazis or something like that. So the Republican Party needs to stop being white nationalist Nazis and they'll they'll do better. The Democratic Party, okay, they're gonna correct the Democratic Party too because they're trying to be objective now here. So they called the Republican Party white nationalist Nazis, uh, the Democratic Party. They need to adjust means-tested programs. So instead of having them means-tested, they need to use some other criteria. Uh, they also need to ignore all the calls from outside of them within a party to stop talking so much about race. And they, I love this because they like paint it as the most extreme way to say it. <laughs> Like, if you read the book, you'll see what I'm talking about. And they say that it's imperative for the Democratic Party to address inequality. It's such absolute... I... These guys just piss me off to no end. They're doing way more damage than good when it comes to figuring out what's true over what is politically convenient. And this is just the worst of the worst kind of rhetoric that we could possibly have. So, uh, they also talk about, oh, there's some, like, lips... Again, it's... The way that it's structured is that, okay, the Republicans did all these horrible things and they're breaking and being extreme, etc, etc, etc. The Democratic Re Party responded, so they reacted to all these horrible things that the Republicans were doing by doing some minorly kind of bad things when it comes to norm breaking. And it, it's like this at the end of the book, and it's so, it's such a double standard, it's ridiculous. Okay, so my analysis, now that we got through it, it's unbelievably biased. Uh, the litmus test of authoritarians, it doesn't even claim to go in to previous presidents or the current congressional democratic representation or uh, presidential candidates or anything like that it doesn't go into any of those to try to say okay well look let's see whether it's balanced in in the litmus test of authoritarians not to mention these are incredibly vague categories unbelievably vague categories and you will be able to find i'm virtually certain that you will be able to find every democratic just the democratic candidates now if you went through everything that they said you'd be able to find things that were representative of every aspect of the litmus test for authoritarians. It mentions other countries and dictators mostly in passing. Like I said, it's just they just kind of cough it up and say, oh, look, there was this dictator in this place. It's not really looking for a scientific or genuine understanding or like political science understanding of what's going on here. It doesn't control for obviously significant factors. I just, I made a list of a few that came off the top of my head when I was writing this, but like the type of constitution, it mentions that a little bit, but doesn't really go into it. The type of constitution would be very significant for how this functions. The length of democratic history, I mean, it just, in passing, it mentions like one of them is at, at least uh, based on a rubric that was structured around the American constitution or something like that. Uh, the length of democratic history, very important. How independent the press was and how many press organizations there were. Whether there was a protection of speech and how that was protected. The right to, whether there was a right to bear arms and how that was protected. The economic status of each one at the time that an authoritarian got in, the type of economy, how much was based on service, how advanced was it, what kind of growth did it have, all that stuff, the average level of education, you know, where was the literacy, how many professionals are in the population, uh, the size of the population just in general will be a big deal, the average IQ of the inhabitants, I mean, that could, probably has a significant role in how the government functions, how well it works, and how often they're going to kowtow to an authoritarian who comes in. The structure 
structure of the family unit, how together the family units are, including like infant mortality and that sort of thing. I mean, those are likely significant when it comes to whether a democracy is going to persist or not. The structure of the military, you know, what was the hierarchy? Who's at the top? What kind of people end up at the top? What kinds of military, like, do you have multiple structures? Do you have multiple branches of the military, the armed services? Do you have domestic and foreign operating agencies that kind of overlap with and place a check on the military? I mean, how does that function? Uh, how does succession work? You know, is it hereditary? I mean, it's constitutional. It's not likely that, but how is it structured in the constitution for succession? Is it clear? Is it obvious? Are there methods for questioning or going against whoever's in power? The strength of the rule of law. I mean, how often are local crimes, how much corruption is there in the local enforcement of criminal statutes? You know, how robust are their criminal statutes? Uh, is it a republic versus democracy? Is it just direct representative democracy? Or do they have localities that have representatives that then form, you know, a republic that goes and, and votes on legislation and the like? And the length of the judicial case precedent history. So how entrenched is judicial... God, why can't I talk to... I haven't had any water yet. Maybe that's why. Judicial, judicial. <laughs> The length of case precedent history, how, how robust is it? How many things have they figured out that way uh, that have lengthy histories and people have thought through all these different questions? So all those things would be very significant in determining how democracies die, but those things are just secondary to instigating a polemic against Donald Trump. Like I said, it has a complete double standard when it comes to Democrats and Republicans. It doesn't bring up things like uh, Estrada, what's his name, Miguel Estrada, uh, when he was being groomed by during the Bush years. He was being groomed to be the first Hispanic uh, Supreme Court justice, but he was stopped at the circuit court level by Democrats, and this is like the first time they really blocked a judge uh, to prevent them. And the and internal documents said that they were, they were blocking him because they didn't want Republicans to get the first Hispanic person on the Supreme Court. So it's, it's mostly saying that Republicans are evil and cause a problem. So I actually have, uh, because I was really frustrated in the way that they treated this so I went to Obama and tried to determine whether I could remember things that were norm breaking or that were, you know, executive overreaches or anything like that. And there were quite a number of things. There was quite a bit. And there was quite a bit that a lot of people kind of didn't pay attention to at the time because there was this, this mandate of, oh, no, Obama's great and all that stuff. And they didn't really pay attention to what was going on. So at one point, he questioned the Supreme Court for overturning law. Obviously, ever since Marbury versus Madison, that's been the role of the Supreme Court. And that hasn't been in question. Uh, I'm sure that presidents, whenever the Supreme Court is, is evaluating something that they don't want to overturn, I'm sure they're going to say this. I'm sure every president has, and it's just, it's cherry picking when it comes to Trump. If he questions something the Supreme Court does, obviously, obviously he's not likely to do that because he has a majority on the Supreme Court. I think he already has actually, what am I saying? But anyway, so I'm just saying these are general categories and you're going to be able to fit because a president is going to say a lot of public things over the course of four to eight years, and you're going to be able to fit them in all of these categories. Obama, he there's that whole Libyan intervention thing that didn't follow the War Powers Act and there was a lot of criticism because it seemed like he was 
engaging in something that was extra constitutional. Uh, the Worst Powers Act is kind of questionable on its own because it's an act involving what the president gets to do. Obviously, they're supposed to be separate branches, so they do whatever they, their powers are. So anyway, but that, that one's more complicated. When it comes to the press, Obama's communications director explicitly said they were going to treat Fox as the enemy. As the enemy. This isn't a respect for the press and we're just going to let... Obviously, Fox is biased. But so when Trump does it to so, uh, something like CNN and says that, okay, you're fake news, <laughs> you're not, you're a biased reporting agency, uh, then it's, he's norm breaking and he's destroying our democracy. But Obama does it as to Fox, calls them the enemy, uh, excludes them from press events, including the whole Benghazi thing, calls them not a legitimate news organization. Those things weren't considered and wouldn't be considered and weren't mentioned or represented by these authors as norm breaking that laid the seeds for anything that came after it or anything like that. Not only that, Obama, he spied on journalists. He set the record two years in a row, from what I remember, for denial of Freedom of Information Act requests. He did this, and like, I'm not saying this that Obama's uniquely evil or anything like that, or he's uniquely bad. I'm saying that every president does a bunch of things that are going to fit into these categories. That's what happens because they do a lot of things. Obama, he had the weak can't wait initiative so he said that because there's gridlock in congress that he's going to do something on his own as people pointed out at the time there's no gridlock clause in the constitution it's not that he gets to make laws because congress isn't doing anything that's a norm breaking <laughs> that's questioning our democracy so why wasn't that called out why wasn't that included in in this book the chrysler bailout he uh, forced like senior creditors the people who had secured interests in in chrysler he forced them to be subjugated to junior creditors like unions uh, when it came to the bailout funds and, and all that. So that, I mean, I don't know enough about that particular kind of law to be able to comment in too much detail on that, but that's a questionable thing when it comes to using executive authority to override something that seems to be established legal precedent when it comes to this kind of an area. Importantly, so when it come, came to Obamacare, and I remember this report, like hearing about these things, and I'm just like, something seemed off about it, but I didn't know enough about the law or anything like that to be able to question it. But when Obamacare was being, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare was being implemented, the White House deferred a number of provisions in the law. Like, you don't get to do that. The law is whatever the law is, but the White House would issue press releases that say that we defer this provision so that people can get more ready or something like that. You don't get to do that. <laughs> The law is established. As the executive, you don't get to just say that some provisions are in effect and some aren't. He also gave preferential deferments, because a lot of people were asking for deferments at the time. He gave preferential ones to districts run by Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid while excluding a bunch of Republicans. I think something like 20% of all the deferments that were requested went to Nancy Pelosi's district. When virtually everybody on all sides was asking for these kinds of deferments, uh, there was uh, this whole issue with the... IRS, who is profiling conservative tax-exempt organization applicants and putting them on a list so they wouldn't be approved. And then the whole, oh yeah, the whole recess appointments thing for like the NLRB and stuff. Uh, they had this little shady thing where it would stay in session and then he'd appoint a whole bunch of people. It was eventually determined unconstitutional in 2014. And then there's the Deferred Action for Parents of Americans, so DAPA, not DACA, but DAPA. It was a law that was rejected by Congress 
Congress and then Obama signed it as an executive order. So that's incredibly shady. Obviously, that's not how it works. It's not that Congress says, okay, well, we don't have enough votes for this law. So go ahead, <laughs> executive. You get to make law now. That's not how that works. So this, I mean, just to sum up this book, it's this kind of partisan BS is contributing to polarization in a climate of escalation by both parties. It's an increasing the likelihood of, uh, you know, a lack of forbearance and more norm breaking going forward. This is something that's been long in the making, everything that's happening here. But this kind of a book is partisan BS. It's a polemic. It's not helping anything. So if you're a frothing at the mouth liberal and you just want to be more ensconced in your thinking, then have at it. You know, read the book and lead us more down that path and we can watch the democracy die for many other reasons on the other side. But if you have any integrity whatsoever when it comes to reality and trying to figure things out beyond whatever your partisan ideas are, then you're going to need a companion to this book to make sure that you understand that this isn't just Trump, Satan, Hitler doing all the evil things in the world and the other side just doing its best to keep up and, and, and polish the halos on their head. This is such ridiculous nonsense. Anyway, that's the last coffee house. That was How Democracies Die by a couple of guys who are not helping anything. And if you like what I do, if you support it, I'm going to keep reading books. I'm going to keep putting them on here. I appreciate everybody who listens to these things. If you want to support it, then subscribe, you know, share it, or, or you can have a look at my book if you're interested in literature. If you're not, don't do it. You're going to hate it. So that's that. I appreciate it. Hope all is well. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>